I'm Bronwyn Williams, you're back with The Small Print, and today I'm going to be speaking to Heidi Swat about some of her work in the space of surveillance and privacy around the city of Johannesburg, and in fact, the world at large. But as always with our guests, Heidi, would you mind introducing yourself the way you like to be introduced these days? Yeah, so um, I'm a freelance journalist, uh, and I basically for the past uh, five, six years, I've been specializing in uh, privacy, data, um, surveillance. Um, and yeah, I'm, I look at the private field as well as uh, state actors. And I look at all kinds of surveillance, whether it's our data, whether it's visual surveillance of our coming and goings, or um, uh, communications interception, etc. So yeah, that's what I keep myself busy with. Good stuff. Let's start with a question that I get quite a lot, and I'm sure you do too. So why do why do you even bother? Like, are we supposed to just just accept that privacy is something that belonged to the previous century and this is the new reality, or is there a reason to keep actually drawing the the underbelly of surveillance, quite ironically, to light? Yeah. So the the whole thing at the core of surveillance is control particularly when it is employed for uh, security purposes. Um, of course, for marketing purposes, that's also a form of control because they need to control where their adverts are going, right? So, so that's, but within the security um, realm, it is, it is the way in which governments try to control citizens. Um, and of course, it, it's on a spectrum. It's on a, a um, I mean, depending on how authoritarian the government is, um, then it tends to be more in your face. Uh, and then with a democracy, it'll sort of be more under, uh, you know, under wraps. But essentially it's, it's the same thing because if they can know where you are, what you're doing, um, what you're saying, who you're associating with, um, then they can also um, limit your actions or influence your actions, right? So, so for example, and this is a very crude example, um, if, uh, if police are using what is known as an IMSI catcher, which is basically, it's also called a grabber, a very simple form of it, they can scan a crowd who's, who's uh, in a protest, they can catch everybody's, uh, I, the cell phone's identification numbers, which is what an IMSI number is, it's your SIM card identification. And then they can link it to you. So in that way, they then know that um, you are in that crowd and those are the activities that you're busy with. Next step would be uh, to then intimidate you, um, start putting you under surveillance, etc. So that is, like, that's a very crude example, uh, but, but that is at the heart of um, surveillance. Uh, and that type of surveillance, because the marketers, marketers have gotten so good at it, um, at harvesting our data and at harvesting so much data, uh, the uh, security sector, government sector, military sector have actually um, got wised up to that. Uh, so we are also in a situation where people can harvest big data, um, where governments can harvest big data in the same way that marketing companies harvested. They can profile you, um, they can get a very good idea of who you are. And it's not as if governments are doing this with every single citizen. That's, that's not the point. Although in some, I mean, if you look at more uh, regimes like China, 
where it's very where, where this type of surveillance um, is is I mean it's sort of it really happens on a micro level. Um, it's not necessarily that that is happening out in the open um, in the Western world, um, but the potential is there, and we don't know if it's happening or not. Um, so we need to care about these things uh, because it's it might not be an issue for you today but we are setting our society up increasingly uh, to be controlled for us for the individual to be controlled uh, by governments and um, uh, by by the security sector um, and i'm not going to even i'm not even going to start talking about <laughs> the manipulation of advertisers but and it sounds like a big conspiracy theory. Um, it actually, and sometimes it, it might sound surreal, but these technologies are there, they are being employed and they are being employed overtly. So, I mean, sorry, covertly and overtly in some cases, but mostly covertly. And it's very difficult to know what governments know about us, what they can find out about us. Um, and if they should be, if they would be targeting us, especially with data harvesting. Uh, if they have a type of a, I mean, you get software that can crawl social media pages uh, and um, sort of collect any data that you have not hidden with your privacy settings. So it's easy not to, there's, there are, you know, many pieces of data that, you know, are often out in the open. People often leave location data visible. You tag yourself, you know, your location when you're on Twitter or Instagram and so forth. Um, with those sorts of things, it is possible for that data to be harvested, not only by governments, but also by, by corporate organizations. And you wouldn't, you don't know who's, who's using it. You don't know who's getting it. So again, the danger is, um, it's not like in the old days when a guy was sitting across from your road, from the road, you know, and across the road, you know, across from your house and, and seeing, and you would see him, okay, there, this is a guy with a lens. Um, and it's not like that anymore. It's happening in a way that we don't even know about. So yes, if we care about our freedom and about future generations' freedom, we need to really start caring about data harvesting and it, and about surveillance and increasingly um, high-tech surveillance. This is something that we did not see coming. I, when I signed up for Facebook in, in 2007, I thought privacy meant that I, um, you know, my mother wouldn't see my, not, you know, my nasty status update. That's what I thought. My boss wouldn't see what I've just said. Um, and in actual fact, uh, it's it's a lot worse than that. Pri privacy, the way that privacy has been eroded with with big data harvesting. Uh, if I had known that 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 this was coming, I would never have signed up. Um, and once you're in it, you're too late. So yeah, that's, um, I don't know if that's convincing, but we should, that is why we should be very worried about our data being collected, especially on a large scale. Well, let's start with the Facebook example since you brought it up. And I know that I, I, I do personally think that I think we've sort of singled Facebook and Zuckerberg out as a bit of a sort of scapegoat for a much larger problem. And there's a bit of a sort of moral panic around certain platforms. Yeah. But I do want to put that proviso out there because I don't want to be part of just jumping on 
populist popular bandwagons. Mm -hmm. But the Facebook example can be used to illustrate a point that I did want to discuss with you, which is you're saying there that if you'd known what was coming, you wouldn't have signed up. But that wouldn't have helped you at all because anybody else could have loaded your class photos from primary school or your the weddings you attended. And the whole point of the network effects there and actually happens very, very quickly is you don't actually need lots of people to opt into any sort of surveillance network for it to erode the privacy of everyone else. So my putting a camera outside of my house doesn't just allow me to sort of surveil my own home. It also means that none of my neighbors have privacy anymore either. And of course, the Amazon ring thing has been quite big in the States. And here we've got Rimital, which you can get into later. But it's this idea that the problem with privacy is that it's a common good. It's not actually an individual good. And it's not something that you can opt out of if your neighbors are opting into it. And it doesn't take very many people to opt into it for you to have a total surveillance state. Like you might have a street, for example, one house on the street of 50 houses wants surveillance cameras in the area and 49 people don't. That one person can still put a camera up on his property and it can still basically erode the privacy of all of his neighbors. So it's very, very difficult to opt out of those systems. And in social networking, it's even more than that, because of course the social networking's work on network effects and graphs and all the rest of it, which means that it's not just sort of like limited to sort of the radius of the camera, which maybe extends perhaps a few hundred meters down the road. It extends across multiple nodes within your network very, 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 very quickly. So this, this is where the sort of defeatist attitudes towards things like privacy and like sovereignty and freedom of like being able to move without being tracked and traced and all the rest of it break down very, very quickly. Do you have any thoughts on that? Are there any ways to still opt out of these systems or is it actually sort of, is this sort of a done deal? I don't, I don't think it's a done deal. Um, I think we are only at the start um, of a very long battle. Uh, I mean, it's a cliche, you know, and I, I've said it, uh, you know, it, it is a cliche, but the law is slow to catch up with technology. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it can't catch up. We'll have to push for it. Uh, I was just chatting to a, uh, a privacy consultant um, the other day and I asked him, look, if say exactly, it's very much what you're saying now, if 50 people Say there are 50 people in my community and they all want it. It's just me that doesn't want a camera. Doesn't that sort of erode my right? Uh, and his answer to me was no, because in terms of South Africa's privacy legislation, which is the Protection of Personal Information Act, the right of the individual um, is sovereign. There's no group mention of a group. You have an inherent right to privacy. Uh, but like all rights, if you don't stand by your right to privacy, uh, you, you, you are not going to have it. You're not going to keep it. And if you, there's also this concept of an expectation of privacy. Uh, and you will, and this, this is something that, that uh, uh, originated in American case law um, surrounding this, this, this topic. I won't go into the details, but uh, the bottom line is, the, the idea is that if society as a whole agrees that you cannot expect privacy in a certain situation, then the individual must forgo the right to privacy, right? Which is extremely dangerous. 
because what is happening now is that people who are in favor of uh, mostly corporates who are in favor of collecting data and mass for surveillance purposes will now say, well, you know what, you don't have an expectation of privacy because you're out on the street and or you are on Facebook now. So what do you, you know, you can't expect it if, if you've put it on it an Mm -hmm. It's like we put we put the cameras up so you can't expect privacy. Therefore, we can put the exactly. Anyway, there's a bit of a exactly. logic there. It, right? it is a catch twenty two. So, so that argument, I think, in the United States, um, has pretty much been settled. I mean, they they have uh, they have said uh, this constitutional court or their Supreme Court there has said, look. Um, Actually, you do have an expectation of privacy when you are out and about in the open. You actually do. You have. You don't expect to have all your movements, uh, um, you know, uh, recorded. You know, there's a difference between being seen on the street and by a person, and by being seen on the street by. Let's just use the camera example: thousands of cameras, and then having those data points recorded. Uh, there's a big difference um, and then having all those uh, data points aggregated analyzed etc so uh, the point point being is we need to we need to keep our expectations high because if we don't we will lose it and if we buy into this rhetoric of uh, you know you can't expect privacy then we are going to lose it we are definitely going to lose it and but by the time the, uh, we feel the effects of it, it will be way too late. Uh, so, uh, so, so yeah, I think um, it is definitely not too late. It feels as if there's too much stacked against us, but I think that is exactly the point at which you need to start taking action. When you least feel as if you can survive, when you least feel as if you can win, um, that is when you need to really start fighting. So this is the, the that's that's the bottom line is if if we give up then that you know if we say we we won't have a right we don't have a right to privacy we're right and we say that if we do have a right to privacy we're still right you know what I mean that's a that's it so yeah. people need to really uh, put their you know you need to put your foot down on this yeah expectations absolutely do dictate the future at the end of the day i mean it sounds quite mystical and wishy-washy but that's not the case at all because you act according to your expectations and you make reinforcing choices as you go along so what you're saying there is very profound i think it's also worth mentioning that a lot of this is a lot further down the line than what people actually notice like you might start to notice things like cameras in the street because it's a physical thing in your space that you can actually see but of course, you've got so many layers of this privacy conversation that are invisible to people that haven't been looking at the issue. So everything right down to sort of like satellite infrastructure that can actually look into your garden pool and see when you're skinny dipping in the summer, for example, that is so far away, you would never be able to know with your natural eye until you end up on somebody's website somewhere. Of course, this isn't an immediate concern for the general sort of Johannesburg housewife. But it might be a concern if you are a celebrity or a person of interest that you can actually be tracked and traced not just by people that abide by the law of your own land assuming everybody in your in your land has agreed to some sort of right to privacy and all the rest of it but a lot of this can be done by international actors a lot of it can be done without without anyone's consent in that sort of natural sort of state system that you have 
how much of that is actually happening and is that of concern or is that something that you don't look at too closely yourself obviously it's it's a it's, it's a big issue and there's not much that individuals can do other than start getting aware of these things and start pushing back where you can yeah, and i think um the way to do it uh is to really start well first of all you need to start informing yourself about these things uh it's a, it it's just a basic good habit you know to you know it's like brushing your teeth to pick up on on the things that affect your human rights you you need to be aware of what's happening you need to you know you need to open your eyes and see all right you know um actually this is not okay and then i mean you can decide in the end there are you know there are nowadays uh, um there are uh software programs that can help you find your internet data and delete it there you know you can quit facebook you don't have to be on facebook uh you can quit whatsapp and facebook messenger or they collect a lot of personal data uh, a lot um and um you can you can you can quit those there are alternatives it just takes a bit of effort uh, but you can actually do it. Um, and that's our biggest problem is that we're so busy that we, we, we don't take the time, you know, I mean, I'm definitely guilty of it. My family is all on WhatsApp. I don't want to bother them and say, let's go to signal. So I'm just staying on WhatsApp. Uh, my, uh, you know, I need to go through all my Facebook friends and see who I want to keep contact with in real life so that I can delete my Facebook profile. I just haven't set aside an hour to do that. So, you know, we are, we are most certainly not helpless. Um, I think many of us, and I, mean, I include myself in this, I, I'm just lazy, you know? So in the end, I think our laziness will be our undoing. Um, the fact that we buy into these uh, services because they're easy. Um, and I think that's what these uh, big companies, you know, are are hoping for. Um, same with same with Google. You don't have to use Google, uh, but I use Google because it's convenient for me. It works in my favor that it's been tailored to my needs. It helps me for my work. I just have to think about something, and Google will, you know, throw it up. So, so yeah, it it, it the bottom line is it takes effort and it takes time, and we are all. I mean, everybody's low on time, right? I mean, that's sort of, you can always, that's a, it's also such a cliche. People keep saying nowadays, people are time poor. Well, uh, the main, uh, um, I think, uh, thing is that these companies are relying on exactly that. And the business model is based on that as well. It's all about convenience. So we're gonna get, have to give up something, you know, to, to get our privacy back. We're gonna have to give up something. And you have to decide if you are willing to give it up. Coming back to what you were talking about earlier, is it enough for individuals to give up things to claw back some privacy? Doesn't it have to be uh, almost a mass movement? Like, doesn't everyone have to or have to have some sort of critical mass that decides to, to make that change? Is it more of a cultural issue, like almost a societal thing that a generation has to decide what it stands for? And every generation has to do that. We always like rewriting our social contracts and our legal contracts and everything else and what norms are in society. And obviously we've changed norms quite a lot within quite a short span of time. We haven't necessarily thought about what those norms are supposed to be. And like putting it on the individual is something that I definitely advocate for quite a lot. But with these common goods problems, 
the, the reality is other people's choices do affect yours, whether, whether you opt into that or not. So the only way to get to really to claw that sort of space back is for it to be changed at the societal level. That again does require individuals to sort of make that change. But that's what we kind of going to have to see. And going back to what you were speaking about earlier about the law and the land and all the rest of it, I suppose that's where it gets even more complicated because quite a lot of these systems that we see around us that we have become sort of accustomed to and are now accepting as normal are illegal from a, from a legal perspective. But not only that, they're also being deployed by the people that are paid to protect us from those things. I mean, in many of these cases, the early adopters of a lot of surveillance technologies, whether it's hardware or software or social network graphing, all the rest of it, are actually coming from the state. And again, it's always useful to sort of separate the law and the state because the, the one's supposed to sort of, you know, they, they are supposed to sort of be balances to each other. But, but what are your thoughts there in terms of the fact that either the protections that we do have are not being upheld and the people that are supposed to be protecting us are actually highly incentivized to not really uphold those laws or to actually erode them altogether? Yeah, so I think this is where um, you're talking about also about sort of getting a critical mass and getting people to, uh, to buy into it. Uh, it's... Um, it is something that will not change unless uh, there is a systemic change. Uh, and unless there is, and obviously for that kind of change, you wouldn't have to have it legislated. I think what will happen is we don't necessarily need everybody to drop Facebook. I know there are also people who use it to make a living. Uh, the fact is that, you know, I'm talking about all the social media, Twitter, Instagram, they have wonderful benefits for people. Uh, as well as the drawbacks, just like anything, you know, I mean, uh, and so we don't have to quit these things. But the thing about technology is, is what's so great about it is there is a lot that you can do to limit um, the, you know, to limit sort of privacy uh, invasions. And you see that with apps like Signal Messenger, for example. Uh, so what will have to happen is, uh, and you're talking now about the state who are not on our side, the state is, uh, <laughs> unless we pressure them, they won't change. Unless we really have um, a strong nonprofit lobbying group uh, putting pressure on the state, they're definitely not gonna do anything. So, so again, everybody doesn't have to be involved. If you're a bit, you know, creeped out about you know your data being collected there is a lot you can do but the main uh the main thrust of the movement will have to come from civil society uh that's just the way it's always been it'll have to come from civil society uh and we have to make this a big deal and it's only then i think that our our lawmakers will will make a shift towards it uh to to really change things and i mean things can change I know you're saying now that, you know, even if you opt out of Facebook, uh, you know, they, uh, uh, someone else can still post information about you. But for example, uh, there's just been a, a legal change in the States where if someone has made a personal tweet, you know, about, or say household photo, um, you're not allowed to post it elsewhere without their permission. So that kind of thing is, you can, you can start making that possible in law. It's very difficult to police it, but 
a place like uh, like like Twitter, for example, they can monitor it and they can just erase it the minute you've done it. it the minute you've made a move that they don't like. I mean, they, I've posted things on Facebook that I didn't know were, I mean, here's, this is a silly example. So a friend of mine had some, some, uh, some puppies that she wanted to sell. And so in the meantime, there had been a rule made on Facebook where you cannot actually do that. You can't sell animals. So that I reposted her post and it was immediately uh, removed. So that just gives you a good example of how much they can control these platforms. Uh, there, there are a lot of controls already built in, but there can be many, many more protections. Uh, and again, the only way we can do that is if uh, you know, there's enough public pressure for them to make these changes, uh, to make social media, make social media safe again, sounds terrible, but to really uh, make it a place where you don't have to fear for your data being, you know, just harvested. And again, that, okay, that's how they make their money. That's their business model. Uh, so how are you going to change that? You need to clamp down on them. Otherwise they will take every penny they can get. That's just how, how businesses work. Well, let's stick with businesses and then we can go back to government if you've got some more time a bit later on. But speaking about what's going on in the South African landscape, let's start here since we are here. What are some of the, the companies to watch? What are some of the corporate moves that are taking place at the moment from a bit more of a news perspective? Where is the current line in the sand and what should citizens be concerned about what comes next? Because obviously we have to take these things kind of one step at a time. What has happened? What is about to happen? And what should be we be concerned about coming down the line? I think the number one problem at the moment um, is that our information regulator needs to get going. So the Protection of Personal Information Act, if I remember correctly, it was first um, enacted in 2013. All right, that's almost 10 years ago. It took all of this time and it was only affected uh, until on, sorry, on the 1st of July this year, it, it really be, came into effect, even though it's been enacted for what, you know, all the, for almost a decade. So that is our biggest problem at the moment. It is the number one issue. Uh, the, uh, uh, in terms of the Protection of Personal Information Act, there, is, uh, there must be an office um, of the information regulator. That's the place where you can go and complain. That is the place uh, that is supposed to keep an eye on businesses and government. And that is the place that's supposed to issue fines. Um, so we really need to, uh, I think they're still hiring staff, but they need to get going. And there needs to be pressure on them to get to, get to, to keep going. Because at the moment, uh, we don't really have anywhere to turn to. Uh, and I'm not sure, I mean, I'm not familiar with, with um, how far they are exactly in their, you know, their, their um, I just want to say their implementations of their strategy, but I know, you know, a short while ago, they were still hiring people. But I think they are going, they really have their work cut out for them. And um, if there isn't uh, enough attention paid to them and attention paid to sort of the 
misuses of our data by the public, uh, you know, we're going to be we're going to be in trouble. So that's the one thing. The other thing to watch is cybersecurity. Uh, we know that um, we've all known about you know the transnet transnet got hacked, version active got hacked. Uh, those are just two examples this year. That is a massive problem, and that is our state security agency. They are the um, they're, I mean, they, everybody knows they have a really bad reputation. 20, 2018, there was a ministerial review panel that came out uh, basically saying that it had turned into uh, Jacob Zuma's, you know, personal uh, unit there. You know, they were basically doing what they wanted to do. Uh, they are the people that are responsible for cybersecurity. Okay, so I won't get into the details of how bad our cybersecurity is, cybersecurity is, but if you speak to people in the field who really know, they will tell you that we are in big trouble. Uh, so our part of our Protection of Information Act also has to do with data security. So I'm not sure how data security standards are going to be upheld in this country. I'm not sure you know, who's going to take responsibility for it. Um, and I'm also not sure if, if there is someone who takes responsibility for it, if they will actually have the skills to do it because it is a highly specialized task. So, and, and we all know, I mean, we don't even really have the numbers, but we know that our cybersecurity specialists, um, that, you know, that talent is, uh, it's not abundant in South Africa. Uh, so, so I, I mean, and that's something that, you know, kids need to start with computers and, and cybersecurity. They need to start early. This needs to be in school, you know, already. And so, you know, I won't go into our education system, but that's what we're what we're sitting with is we need many, many cybersecurity uh, um, specialists and or at least cybersecurity uh, people that are capable of implementing it. And we don't have that. Uh, so that's the other thing. Um, then I would say another big threat, and this is in the public threat to privacy, and this is in the public domain as well as in the private domain, um, are surveillance cameras, all right? So the issue with surveillance cameras is if people think about surveillance cameras, generally they think, oh, CCTV, all right? So CCTV stands for closed circuit television camera the operative word being closed circuit and television. So for one, that's an old system, an analog system where uh, um, you just film a parking lot or your house uh, and it goes onto a recorder in, you know, in a closed space and no one ever really sees it. If you wanna see what's going on there, you know, it, it's like you, these old uh, police movies, you have to sit and watch all the tape. Those days are over. The systems today, are uh, highly sophisticated, they're connected to the internet, they collect petabytes of high definition footage. Uh, they also, you know, they track our number plates, they, you know, these, I mean, again, these are government and private systems, both in Cape Town and I know in Johannesburg, anybody can put up a license plate recognition system. Uh, if I got my neighborhood's buy-in today and I got enough people to put up cash for it, I could put a license plate recognition system in my neighborhood and I could track everybody going in and out. So 
that stuff is, is happening. It's been happening for years. Um, and again, it's the thing of privacy expectation. Well, you know, we've been doing it for years. So why can't we just carry on? That's the general feeling. And the other thing is, oh my goodness, you know, it's so dangerous. We have to have cameras, which again is a bit of a logical fallacy because we don't really have scientific evidence of how good the cameras are when it comes to reducing crime. Uh, so, so this is this is happening, and there's no control over it. Uh, again, I was speaking to some folks with privacy, uh, you know, legislation knowledge and so forth. Um, in the UK, there are special frameworks for surveillance camera regulation uh, because they've been struggling with this for so long uh, since the late '90s. This has been an issue. Those frameworks didn't come up out of nowhere. People had to push for them. Uh, we don't have anything like that here. We can't even get our general, you know, information data protection law. We can't even get that going. Uh, so we urgently need some form of external regulation that holds people accountable. Uh, and that the problem is with also with these and many of these private systems is that they collect a lot of data that they never use. So. And that's what you call the proportionality principle is that you collect so much more than what you really need. Um, and I mean, I once spoke to a guy, you know, and I asked him, he was sort of at the center of one of these neighborhood watch groups. Uh, and they had several of these uh, surveillance, uh, um, you know, license based surveillance systems here in Cape Town. So I said to him, but, you know, you have all this data about people, you know, and his answer was, no, it just sits there. So the problem with it just sitting there is the minute you have uh, all this data, you know, being created, being collected, that becomes something that poses a danger. Um, and again, you know, you don't go to bed at night without locking your doors. Uh, you're not gonna go to someone you don't know and give them your grandmother's jewelry and say, I don't know you, but you know, here, keep it safe. Maybe if it's a bank, but these people aren't, are, are not part of a formal structure. They're a neighborhood group. Uh, so we need to start seeing that our data is valuable. We need to see it as valuable because it literally is valuable. If our data is secret, it keeps us safe. Uh, and of course our data can be sold, uh, which, which obviously gives it a monetary value. So, so yeah, so those, I would say those are the three things. Um, and what people also need to understand back to the whole CCTV thing, these, uh, these cameras are internet protocol cameras, IP cameras, because just like your, your computer or your cell phone, when it's connected on your smartphone, when it's connected to the internet, it has an IP address. It is a device that can be hacked. Uh, and I mean, we've seen it, you know, it's, it is common knowledge that um, these type of devices, especially cameras, are easily hacked. Uh, and that, that is a real concern if you take that, if you take into account, you know, these online systems linked to databases with large amounts of uh, personal information uh, and no assurance, our state security agency, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't really trust them with my data at all, uh, but they're the ones that are in charge of our cybersecurity. So yeah, for me, those are the, the three 
big issues at the moment. Those are the three pressing issues that people really, you know, need to pay attention to. Carry on on that thought because now you're talking about three different things. They're obviously coming from different sources, but that gets one thinking about how those systems are being interconnected, which is where things do get a lot more serious when it comes to surveillance. Like you mentioned, the closed circuit camera thing, but even so, like say a, a network of a private company that installs license recognition or facial recognition cameras in a particular part of the world. That would be within a particular network, even if it is connected to the internet, it would be, at least in theory, assuming they got their cybersecurity yeah. correct, it would be like a closed loop. It might be a very large loop. It might have a lot of data inside that. But where it gets uh, really scary from a privacy point of view is when those databases start integrating with other databases. And I'm having the same argument with people with sort of track and trace over the COVID vaccines and everything. It's one thing to ask someone to show a paper pass to see if you've you know, met whatever criteria a particular patron would want for you to enter into a particular space. It's quite another when that patron is trying to access public data to verify your identity and your geolocation. Because then you kind of, you, you, you're tying together different databases. You're tying together private knowledge with public database systems. Again, I've had this argument around the sort of vaccine pass thing because that's tapping into public sector databases as other bits of information in there. But also, which is where I think a lot of these conversations around community surveillance started, which is when we started booming up suburbs around South Africa in the name of sort of health and safety again. And very soon the security companies that are manning those booms are wanting you to show public identification to get into public areas that were previously free. It's like a, it's a common sort of issue again, much like you were talking about earlier, like I put up a camera, I impact your privacy, even though it's on my property. The same thing, like having a boom over a public road and then demanding people show public identity documents to private sector players that again get stored onto various databases. And where it gets really interesting is, is, is again, how those databases are integrated. So now your security company is not just tracking data that they themselves have collected and curated, they're matching that data to public sector databases. And what are the rights that South African citizens, citizens in general have with sharing those things? Uh, I think a lot of these debates are lost in the detail. Like people will say, oh, but like bars have to card people. But that's a law that was said that bars, if you're going to do a particular thing, have to check a particular document. There is, uh, I think, quite a significant distinction between that, a business following the law of the land, and the business demanding access to public databases, which is what showing an identity card or a license disk and scanning all that information really is. When all of these sort of things get combined together, you really are building a panopticon society where everyone is watching everyone all the time. And you don't know how all those different databases are integrating, talking to each other and triangulating really various different aspects of your lives on a far from need to know basis. I don't mm. think that there are many legitimate reasons why a private private security company that's put up a camp across a public road should be able mm. to demand your name, address, or anything else, right? To access a public space again. Very, very, I think, I think it's quite interesting. I think we are very far down this road. I think we are probably further down the road than we might have sort of started up this conversation speaking about because those things are being integrated and we are mixing private sector footage with public sector databases and not just identity documents and medical documents, also with things like criminal records, right? And linking into the, the law and order systems. 
What are your thoughts on those interlinkings? And is that not the, the nexus where perhaps we can sort of drive a wedge if we do want to preserve any sort of privacy in the future? So drawing the line as to where private and public sector data is allowed to merge. Yeah, I think this is a, I think this is, I mean, this is a huge problem. Uh, it's uh, the security sector, they really, they really act with impunity. I mean, if you cordon off a street, um, I'm not a the taxpayers pay for, by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm not a lawyer, but uh, you know, we're supposed to have freedom of movement and association in this country. It's something that people really fought for. Yeah, it's it's, it's one of the. It's close to home. It's close, and there's deep wounds there. Yes. Yeah, exactly, and it's. Um, enormous racial discrimination to, I mean, let's just be honest about this here. It's, it's, it's very much a racist practice, I think. And the, the idea that you can be stopped and asked for your ID document by a personal security guard. Private company. I mean, yeah, sorry. To access a public space. Private security guard um, to, um, yeah, to access a public space. I think that is definitely something that's going to have to be taken up by the information regulator. Uh, and even when people enter, uh, you know, a, an office complex, because this also has to do with... Um, yeah, I had tantrums. I leave my car on the pavements. I refuse to show them my details. Well, yeah, you're wise, <laughs> you're wise to do that. So this has to do with, what, with what's called minimality um, in the Protection of Personal Information Act. The question becomes why do you need to see my ID so that I can walk down the street? Um, what are you going to do with my details? Um, they can't the tell you if you ask them, not, not in South Africa. No. I, I ask them every time when they can't mm. tell me, I'm like, no, don't worry, I'll park over there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have companies with these, um, I don't remember the device off the top of my head, but, uh, it's basically a scanner. So they scan your your uh, your license disk. They scan your license, right? So talk about uh, you know personal identity and objects. Yeah, identity, intersection yeah. between public and private. That information, uh, arguably, is not necessary for you to go and visit your grandmother, you know, at her apartment. And again, that is something where the the uh, um, the information regulator will have to step in. Uh, they will have to, people, some, we're gonna to have to decide at a government level uh, when this is okay. And for this, I would definitely say, I blame our authorities uh, because they have, they have let things slide. They've let the private sector take over what really what they should be looking after. They have, I mean, our police, uh, you know, they're only too glad to get help from the private security companies, you know, uh, instead of saying, wait a minute, they're encroaching on our domain. Um, and one does understand that they are short staffed, etc. But at a, at a higher level, I'm talking about ministerial level, this is something that needs to be looked at, because I mean, you don't need to, there is no mandate, governmental mandate, for these companies to, you know, be protecting public space in the way that you've just said. So again, th these are things that um, we need stricter regulations of private organizations, not only by 
from uh, bodies such as the information regulator, but we also need the police to step up. We also need uh, um, the, again, while the Ministry of State Security was busy committing its own crimes and being misused, this type of thing was happening. Uh, I mean, the if you take these uh, surveillance cameras, you know, they're going up all over Joburg. A while back, I, I was writing about this uh, to um, the state security agency. Uh, and I asked them if they knew about this. Uh, and they sent me sort of a, a very broad response saying, yeah, we're aware and we're keeping an eye on it, but not really promising any action. And so if that's the kind of lax response um, these, these, organize, these government organizations have, uh, then, you know, we're in trouble. Basically, we, we have state agents, state entities that are relinquishing their power and that are relinquishing, well, with they, they, they're also just giving up their responsibility because they're not paying attention. Um, and the result is what you have described now, uh, private organizations simply uh, going wild uh, and even claiming public space for themselves. So yeah, again, to, to answer your question, what can we do about it? It's the same old story. It's, you have to lobby for it. You know, our democracy is very young, 20 years old. Uh, we've just come through state capture uh, and we have a, you know, a power utility that's, uh, that's um, in trouble. So we're still dealing with some very basic things. Um, but alongside that, we just need to keep piling on the pressure uh, so that government can start taking responsibility and start putting their foot down, uh, particularly when it comes to private security companies. Yeah, absolutely. That's quite a, it's, it's a big one. It's not, it's not something that's going to be solved overnight, but I think it's really is critical that we claw back whatever agency we have, because if you don't use it, you are most definitely going to use it. And these sort of common goods in terms of privacy and spatial privacy and sort of personal privacy and online privacy and all the rest of it, are quite lucrative to, to mine and to exploit that you're and that's the other thing when it comes to sort of bargaining which is why bargaining at a business level probably is not going to work because i've done quite a lot of work in the sort of like futures economic space and all the rest of it and you have these sort of very innocent very naive people saying things like oh no we should monetize your data and you can earn income off like selling it to companies your data as an individual is not worth almost anything at all it's only valuable at scale and quite frankly if you don't want to sell yours like we were talking about earlier that can be inferred yeah. that gap in the data can be inferred by the next guy who is willing to sell it on so the only way that you really can bargain with businesses is at scale and the way you bargain with businesses at scale unfortunately is through the law and actually sort of setting norms either through the law or through sort of cultural laws which is more like almost a morality thing right like saying in our society you know we sort of close the door when you go to the bathroom maybe we also make seem to make some sort of norms about how we expose our more sort of data privacy and data parts mm. of our bodies and minds and businesses to the greater world so there, there are norms that need to be built through here do we start that at school level do we start like encouraging children to be more aware of their privacy and i do say this as a parent who has just been shocked to find out that her school without informing us installed uh, biometric systems that now scan the kids eyeballs to get into school so without my permission 
the kids' eyeballs are now on some database that belongs to a business, and I'm not quite sure what they're going to do with it, right? It's like the, the cat gets out of the bag very, very quickly. And this is all done in the name of sort of health and safety, which kind of brings us back to the point you're making about governments. A lot of this, a lot of the justification, the reason why people are accepting these intrusions in their lives, if accepting private companies making money, setting up toll booths on sort of public roads and accepting sort of eyeball scanning devices at primary schools and all those sorts of things are because of fear. And fear is a reality, particularly in South Africa with huge crime rates, you'll do almost anything to protect your loved ones from being harmed, even if it's a long shot, because as you mentioned, the, the numbers and the data simply don't say that more cameras equal less crime. Quite the opposite, in fact, is there, there's very little scientific evidence to prove that surveillance actually reduces harm, but it does reduce the, the feeling of risk, which is why people are prepared to submit to essentially living in an open air prison that makes surveillance the default rather than the exception. In other words, surveilling the innocent all the time rather than surveilling the suspected to be guilty on occasion. And we do that because we are fearful. We are fearful because government has failed at their basic duty, which is to protect our safety, right? I mean, this is like the, that's like the first reason why you have a government, isn't it? So a lot of the problems that we're talking about might not actually be even about surveillance. They're actually about society, right? So the reason we have a whole lot of the, the problems we see on one side are actually when you sort of dig into it, a result of massive failings, massive big failings in other parts of our society. So it becomes a very, very messy problem. I think it's going to be a huge challenge to sort of evangelize to your friends and family to sort of refuse to submit to sort of living in the sort of panopticon open air society while they are fearful. I mean, we, we've seen this over the last couple of years that afraid people will submit to, will gleefully give up a lot of their human rights their bodily rights, their privacy, and all the rest of it, for even the, the false promise of feeling safer or feeling like risk is being reduced. So I'm not sure we can have conversations around privacy without reducing or at least addressing the, the issues of, of risk that go with it and the mm. tactics of fear that sell us into a lot of these services. I think the irony is that people don't realize that Giving up your privacy is also, to a large extent, giving up your safety. Uh, and if it, it pulls, you can't have the two separately. And that is, that's the lie, right? It's it, it, it sold to, to reduce your, your risk, but actually it's quite the opposite. Yeah, and I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that we find in mythology, you know, quite a bit in the power of a name and giving up your name. Uh, and today it, it has never been more relevant. Um, the more someone knows about you, the more danger you're in. Uh, and what people don't realize is that uh, unless you really trust the person that you're giving your details to, really, really trust the person, uh, you can't really be easy with it. Uh, there was just a report in uh, City Press about increased number of kidnappings in South Africa. It was a crime intelligence report, apparently, that's been released. And that kidnap it said that kidnappings had been up uh, by 60%, uh, and they were suspecting that the police and the private security industry were actually involved. Uh, so that is 
that is alarming. <laughs> um, if you think what syndicates can do uh, with our data, if you really think about what crime syndicates can do with our data, uh, and it is an everyday practice, really. We all get phishing emails. I got a, a I mean, I got a series of weird uh, um, SMSs and, and WhatsApps and, and emails just last week. Uh, and uh, where did they get my number? I didn't give it to them. Uh, but the point is, it's just a data, your data that's taken by someone else. It's put out there and you're endangered. Um, and make no mistake, I think every piece of data that's collected about us um, is something that can be used against us um, by, by organized crime or by people who are just taking chances. And it's something that people need to become aware of. People need to stop just trusting the, the businesses that say that they're going to keep them safe. Uh, you don't know that. You don't know that. Um, I mean, additionally, if you look at private security companies, there's no reporting mechanism. I mean, you, they, you know, you pay them a monthly fee, right? If they have accidentally or, you know, or with, with uh, you know, with full knowledge, appointed someone with a prior criminal record for particularly for violent crimes, they will not tell you about it. You're the client. They want to keep you happy. And there's, I mean, so, so yeah, you, you need to ask the question in this panopticon, who's really looking at you? Who is looking at you? Who is looking at your data? Do you really trust that person to keep you safe? Because in the end, it is about the people that keep us safe. It's about whether we can trust authorities and private security companies. Uh, and to, to be frank, like I said, there's no independent oversight body. There is for the police, you know, it's somewhat dysfunctional, but at least it's there. But, but for, for security companies, you know, they can register as security companies, but, but there's not really a, a, an oversight body that we can go to. And we're really out in the cold here. So yeah, it is an illusion. The idea that you selling your data to people who want to make money with it are going to keep you safe. That's an illusion. It's a, it's a insidious little lie. I think that's a good place to pause this conversation. I would like to give you an opportunity to clarify any points or to make any ones that we didn't get to before I let you go, but I am quite conscious of your time. No, no worries. Well, I think um, I've said much of, 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 what I, of what I can say. Uh, I think the fact that the fact that the most important thing that we spoke about today was the idea that all of this is so overwhelming and that we are so far down the line. Uh, but I also think that we should just, you know, step back and also think and also realize that I. You know, if you look at how quickly things are changing, this is something that I don't want to say it was unavoidable, but we we are here now, um, and that's not going to change. Um, 
unless we really do something about it. So I think my final my final um, message would be just to just to sort of emphasize that is that uh, it is human beings we know they only really start you know looking for a solution to a problem once the problem's there and once it's really becoming an issue uh, and hopefully you know this is already an issue but it can still become a lot worse so hopefully we won't wait for this to get any worse before we actually do something if there was ever a time to not give up uh, on your privacy that time is now Thank you, Heidi. Where can people get hold of you if they want to continue this conversation? Uh, I am on on uh, Twitter, uh, Heidi underscore SWAT, um, H-E-I-D-I underscore S-W-A-R-T. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's uh, probably the best way to, to, uh, to contact me. Probably enough information since we're talking about privacy too, so. Yeah, yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the irony of this whole thing, right? I mean, that's, yeah, that's exactly. the thing. We benefit from these things. We have to make them work for us, not against us. So we have to be very aware of what we're giving up in order to get the conveniences that we want. It's always a trade-off. There's no free lunches in this world. Yeah, I know exactly. So yeah, here we go. You know my Twitter handle, and um, that's all you're getting. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. No, thanks, Bronwyn. Appreciate it.